Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Phil Dobby, and welcome once again to the Debunking Economics Podcast, Episode 5. Steve Keen is joining us in just a moment. And today, we're talking about Trump. Uh, that unexpected win, it was unexpected, just like Brexit was. And was it for the same reason? A lot of disenfranchised people upset about the wealthy elite. Is it an acknowledgement that the trickle-down effect of some people being rich and then passing on their wealth and creating jobs for everybody else, that that supposed trickle-down effect isn't working? We're going to talk about that on the Debunking Economics podcast today. Strange, really, isn't it, that if you believe that the massively rich are taking all the money and leaving the rest of us to struggle, if that's your concern, strange to elect somebody who is massively rich and doesn't pay any tax at all. Isn't he part of the problem? Well, not for Trump supporters, it seems, and there's certainly lots of them, as we've just discovered. And uh, if you listen to our podcast on how Trump might have some of his ideas right, uh, he just demonstrates them in a psychopathic, misogynistic, xenophobic way. Uh, and of course, this is the man who's going to have his finger on the nuclear button in January. So start digging that fallout bunker now. But his ideas of questioning free trade, cutting tax, perhaps writing off debt, some of those, as we explored a, a couple of episodes back, might not be bad ideas, possibly even good ideas. But does he have the personality to execute them in a way that's not actually going to cause more problems rather than fixing the problems we have? But let's look at the central issue here. Why did Trump win? Was it because he swept up the working class voters that in the past probably voted Democrat? Those old industrial towns where there are no longer jobs, those people disenfranchised with the establishment who, uh, who, who they see the establishment as having money that they don't have. And of course, that establishment includes Hillary Clinton, of course, uh, the foreign workers also stealing their jobs. Uh, but, you know, we've, we've all had the argument used by conventional economists for a long time that it's, it's okay to have wealthy people because if the wealth creators are allowed to make money, that money will trickle down to the rest of the economy. They'll need workers. They'll employ those workers and those workers will have money. Well, St uh, Professor Steve Keen is with us again. Look, Steve, if the wealthy do have this money, uh, they have to do something with it. They're going to invest it. That investment is going to create jobs. What's wrong with that idea? Well, <laughs> Well, actually, one of, the, one of the funny ways it actually works is that Reagan uh, swallowed what was called the Laffer Curve. And I, I think there are a few more appropriately named people than, than Laffer. Because I definitely laugh at everything he has to say. But Laffer drew this, literally drew the curve, curve on, a, on a restaurant napkin, arguing there's some optimal level of tax and arguing that the current level of tax in America was beyond the optimal level. So if we reduce the actual tax rate, he argued GDP would rise by more than the reduction in the percentage tax takes so that tax revenue would actually rise. Yeah. And by cutting taxes, you would actually increase government revenue and reduce the government deficit. Now, we talked about now, that and you said that was right. You agreed with that. 
No, I didn't. <laughs> I thought well when we when we were when we were talking about Donald Trump a, a, a few weeks back uh, and some of the good ideas, I I said you know one of his ideas is cutting back tax, uh, so you created more wealth, and you thought that was a smart move as far as the Trump reason being that since Trump won the election, mm. if he actually carries out the promises he's talking about and cutting tax rates and the belief that it'll dramatically stimulate uh, economic activity and actually help balance the government uh, budget budget what will actually happen there'll be a massive stimulus from the government sector by cutting back on its tax revenue but still maintaining its spending level and that will stimulate the economy that way it certainly won't cause a balanced budget the same thing happened under reagan reagan had the, some of the largest largest deficits that have been run by the american government uh, except during times of economic crisis and because of that spending the economy actually got stimulated so trump will end up stimulating the economy for the same reason that Reagan did, not because the Laffer curve worked, but because the Laffer curve fallacy led to a much larger increase in government spending than the cut in government taxes, and that stimulated the economy. So in in the 60s, I mean, anyone earning over $400,000 a year in the US was taxed at a marginal rate of 91%. In the 80s, anyone over 215000 was on 70%. Today, the top rate is less than 40%. So what mm-hmm. so so what you're saying is they had it wrong in those days because I mean surely they have I mean they have more money they have more money for uh, government investment that has to be a, a good thing doesn't it? Well I'm not a uh, taxation this this is part of the problem about seeing taxation as an essential part of government revenue they don't tax they don't have any money it's actually the other way around the government creates money by spending yeah. uh, it takes money out of the system by taxation and some of the best arguments I've seen on this front actually by an ex-physicist called George Cooper he used to actually be a Goldman Sachs uh, quant he's now a uh, running a bank in in England and he's become a good friend, in fact. But George argues that what the taxation system did was stop money coagulating uh, in the wealthy. Because if you have the wealthy earning the huge amount of money they do earn, and then they, they simply can't spend fast enough to get that money back into circulation. I've, I've seen calculations that if, if you look at the, the age that uh, Bill Gates is at, and imagine he was going to spend at the rate economic theory, Nikola classical economic theory argues he does in what they call the, the permanent income hypothesis. If he was going to spend the money he had now, he would self-combust in about 20 seconds. <laughs> Okay. The sheer amount of the the sheer heat he would generate by trying to spend the amount of money he's got now would would cause him to explode. So they simply can't spend that quickly. And the role of taxation in that sense is to redistribute from where money coagulates right. in the circulation system and put it back into the hands of those who will spend. Okay. But so we so we don't so we don't need that money because the government can create the money anyway. But what yeah, it is doing is ensuring that there's there's some sort of balance. Because surely if you've got people who are earning an absolute mozza, they are going to mm-hmm. buy big houses and push up house prices. Uh, they're going to uh, push up the price of food or push up the price of almost anything because yeah. companies are going to say, well, we'll just sell to the rich people and forget about everybody else. Yeah, but you still need, I mean, for a capitalist system to work well, everybody has to earn an income. Yeah. And if you start getting to the stage where there's no income being generated for the working class or the, the, the lower middle class, then there's no point investing for them either because they haven't got any money to spend in the first place so a a successful capitalist system has to provide everybody with a decent income if it doesn't work you get fascism 
And this is the danger we're going through right now, that uh, it's all very well for the wealthy to say we're going to you know, calc- uh, uh, concentrate the wealth ourselves, put the money in offshore accounts, et cetera, et cetera. It works until what uh, Nick, uh, I think his name is Nick Hanauer, a, a Seattle-based capitalist who funded Amazon has become quite a strident critic of, uh, of the, the, the wealthy accumulating all this money. Capitalism only works as long as the poor don't get completely screwed. And if you get to the stage where the poor feel like they've got no stake in the system whatsoever, then as Nick Hanau said, you watch out for the pitchforks. Yeah, absolutely. That is so the stage when, you, when even, you've got lots those, of money. Yeah. You're going to have to spend all that money in a, in a gated community. You're going to have to uh, just start yeah. uh, hiring security guards to protect yeah. yourself. Uh, in effect, you're the feudal lords and the serfs are going to be out to get you. Well, actually, I was in, I was in Manchester just a couple of days ago and uh, Manchester, of course, was the home of one Friedrich Engels, who was Marx's co-author in many ways, mm. and was a wealthy, wealthy German uh, industrialist, but regarded himself as being on the run and a revolutionary at the same time. And we went to one of the pubs that he drank at, and the the guide who took us there was explaining that it had not been for the girlfriend he had from the uh, English working class, so Mary, I've, I've forgotten my last name, but Mary, somebody rather, uh, if she hadn't been with him, he would have been probably physically killed by going to these pubs because the level of resentment that the working class had of the wealthy at that stage was enormous. And partly because they'd also gone from being, you know, in, in, the, in their own living lifetimes, they went from being peasants in a feudal estate to, uh, with, with some decent living conditions, in fact, uh, to landless labourers working in the, the dark satanic mills of early, 18th, eight, early 1800s England and resenting and hating the the, the ruling class toffs, get them in a dark corner, they'd bash the hell out of them. So we, we have this tension in capitalism uh, between the accumulation of wealth and the trying to avoid losing that wealth through taxation but, uh, but, and the sustainability of the society itself. But at that stage, I mean, let's look at the Industrial Revolution where you had a number of people who were very wealthy, the, the landowners who became the factory owners who uh, uh, built the factories, built those uh, terraced houses for all the factory workers. Uh, some some of them, you know, were, were quite benevolent and uh, provided... They were. And, and, and yeah. So, I mean, that's an example of trickle-down working, isn't it? If they hadn't have had the money and invested, those people wouldn't have had a job. Well, capitalism, really, the, the basis of capital capitalism success was the exploitation of the free energy. If we look at the uh, the, the growth of, uh, of English capitalism, it only began when we started with the um, steam engine taking advantage of coal, initially actually to find ways to pump water out of coal, coal mines. That was the way the, coal, the steam engine was first actually invented, with an enormous increase in the capacity to turn physical resources into, into commodities was the source of that wealth. And capitalism certainly gave you the impetus to want to do that because anybody who managed to overcome those problems became fabulously wealthy. So yes, that was part of it. But it's also a circulatory system. If it doesn't circulate as well, then you get this enormous disparity and you end up with a form of feudalism coming out of it again. This is one of the remarkable things about Latin America, for example. I remember reading a remarkable uh, book on the issue of the difference between the ruling class and working class in Latin America versus that in North America. And in America, North America, the USA, capitalist consumption is roughly 30% of GDP. In Latin America, it's roughly 70% of GDP. 
Now you look at it, and what's really young, the, the, the ruling class in Latin America is trying to keep up with the living standards of the wealthy in America. And the only way they can do it by paying absolutely lousy wages, terrible conditions for their workers, and particularly in plantations. And that gives you a very stagnant society. So there is a balance between the two. And you can push it too far, as I think it certainly was done when you had marginal tax rates of 91% back in the 60s and 70s, as you were saying. You push it too far in the other direction, where you have almost no taxation at all, and the wealthy certainly managed to evade that tax, as we know Donald Trump quite successfully did for the last two decades. And consequently, they accumulate all this wealth, and they can. there's no way they can spend that fast enough to generate the level of economic turnover we saw back in the 50s and 60s in America when being a working class American was a reason to be proud rather than to be angry. So isn't that utility is, you know, that that, that word which is used a lot in, in economics. We only have money for for the utility that we can make out of it. What's the value of wrong, that? Well, I was going to say, wrong, well, I was gonna say I wouldn't, but I mean, that is the <laughs> argument, isn't it? And that's, but that's, uh, but then from what you've said, I mean, that, that goes counter that, doesn't it? Because I want all this money. It's of no use to me whatsoever because i've got so much of the stuff i can't even spend it but i still no, want it's, it's i still want more of it use, immense use to you because you can buy a bigger yacht than the bloke next to you right and this is what i mean one of my favorite anecdotes about when you remember australian uh, ponzi scheme you and i know both well as you think he was born in england originally but he's still he hasn't quite died yet but um that'll happen uh the one alan bond mm. i mean alan bond was uh, noted as a painter uh, in his own right, or a painter of walls rather than a painter of paintings. Uh, but he became a part of the art community and bought uh, that classic uh, still life by Van Gogh. And um, he was wandering through an art exhibition with his underlings one day and he stood staring at some particular painting for some substantial point period of time and his underlings thought, oh, maybe Alan's finally developing a bit of appreciation for culture, looking at a Van Gogh. And as he walked away from it, he said to all of them, mine's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't. The thing is, you can't buy class, can you? That's you the problem. You can't buy class. So, but, but nonetheless, it's comparative stuff, and these people still want to accumulate more. Right. Larry Ellison apparently, on the same story, wanted to buy a bigger yacht than than Bill Gates had. I mean, so that even though you can't use more of the money. The comparative stuff still dominates how people behave. So there's no way in which people slow down when they get enormous amounts of wealth. If you do get your exceptions like um, like um, Bill Gates Warren Buffett. Or, yeah, Warren, or well, no, Bill Gates took a while. Warren Buffett persuaded him. I'm never going to give Bill Gates first credit there. Warren Buffett definitely persuaded him to use his money for benevolent reasons. Right. So Warren Buffett is definitely the uh, the example of somebody who's lived a humble lifestyle throughout and is, intends giving away almost everything he's accumulated when he dies. So if we had the right instruments to ensure, you know, some sort of government policy to ensure that the the rich invested rather than uh, you know amassing their money in tax havens or buying expensive yachts would we is that is what stops the trickle down economy working if we had the right measures to say you can have all this money but you've got to reinvest it uh, and it's got to be for a productive end then that trickle down theory would work wouldn't it well, the turnover theory of capitalism would work and not so much trickle down as turnover. You have to force that money to circulate. And if you let it accumulate just in the wealthy, then the rate of circulation slows down and you have a slump in the economy. But it would be feasible to, to invert that by saying, OK, well, the wealthy are going to accumulate all this money 
by not paying their taxes, we'll just pay more in direct government payment to the poor and let this trickle up in that sense and cause inflation, which would then reduce the value of the money being accumulated by the capitalists, but still provide a decent level of cash for the for the workers. So um, there are other ways to attack it, and partly our problem is in seeing... But that would be a cycle, taxation. wouldn't it? That would continually increase inflation. It could, yeah, it could do. But um, that's that's the dilemma. We we really, and this is where I think the the work that um, that George Cooper has done in arguing that the democratic system, which taxes and transfers the money back to the working class and enables the money to circulate rather than coagulating, is a good argument, a good interpretation of how we could think about capitalism. We have to maintain that circulation, and there's always a temptation uh, for the wealthy, in particular, who has got the capability to do it, to accumulate that money rather than spend it. Right, and look. Often, when we hear the argument that we should be ta- we should be taxing the rich more, and you know, the argument is given. Well, you know, it's not actually going to create that much money for the economy. We, you know, we might be talking millions. We're certainly not talking billions. But from what you're saying, that doesn't matter too much because actually, the only reason you want to tax the the rich more is because you want to try and maintain this sense of balance where they're just not getting a preposterous amount of money, which is which which is inflicting pain on the rest of the economy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not uh, it's not necessary to finance government spending, but it's necessary to stop the money stopping uh, slowing down and not circulating anymore, which of course is another issue I've talked about earlier. We still so finally though, I mean people still do talk about trickle the trickle down the effect of the trickle down. Uh, yeah. it, a lot of government policy still seems to be based on this idea. In fact, increasingly seems to be based on this idea of, of trickle down even though there's no evidence that it actually exists or has ever existed. No, it's much better to think in terms of gush up rather than trickle down. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you put money in, in hands of people who don't need to spend it, they're going to accumulate it. If you put it in hands of people who, who have to spend it, then it will be spent. So gush up is a much more effective uh, economic model than trickle down. Which gets down to that fundamental question, doesn't it, about economics? Is it, uh, is it actually that if you produce stuff, people will buy it and then that gets the economy moving? Or is it a question of if you give people money, then they'll, they'll want stuff and therefore it'll have to be produced? Well, capitalism is a monetary system. And if you don't think about money, you're going to get capitalism wrong. And in an essential sense, that idea about trickle down was based on an ignorant notion about where money comes from and how it turns over. And, uh, and you know, trickle down, if you rely upon the spending of the wealthy for its own sake, their own, they're spending for their own consumption needs, you're not going to get as much turnover occurring as if you, if you pump the money into the bottom of the system where people have to spend. And, and that's, in many ways, that's the fundamental weakness of that logic. It won't trickle down to the people at the top don't need to spend it in the first place. Yeah, well, look, it's going to be interesting to see, isn't it, whether Donald Trump embraces your gush-up theory. I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath because he's talked about tax cuts across the board for the rich as well as the oh. poor. And uh, from what you're saying now, uh, for, uh, tax cuts for the rich won't do much good because the benefit won't trickle down. But, uh, but more money for lower-income earners uh, and that money is going to be spent. That makes uh, common sense. As always, good to talk to you, Steve. Okay, mate. Bye. And next time, I, I think we said we were going to talk about this this time, but of course, the Trump victory surprised us all, and we did want to talk about that today. So next time, we're back where we were. We're going to look at monopolies. Why do economists hate them so much? And are there ever times when monopolies can be a good thing? Join us for that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. See you then. Mm-hmm. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.